Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. It's Friday, May 22nd here in Omaha, Nebraska. Kind of an overcast day. We've been having rain for the last few days. Uh, but, you know, things are looking up. It is Memorial Weekend. Uh, Monday's Memorial Day, apparently. As a, you know, since I left the government, I don't actually track federal holidays anymore. But someone told me that Monday was Memorial Day, so uh, we will certainly observe that. Um, hope everybody is doing well. It's been another crazy week here in Nebraska. Um, although we are starting to see some businesses reopen, a uh, little bit of activity resume to some quasi-state of normalcy. Uh, it has been interesting. Um, one one uh, piece of information for you, and um, then I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the work I've been doing the last month or so. Uh, this is the last episode we're being sponsored by Safety Reports. Uh, Steve and the folks over at Safety Reports agreed to sponsor eight episodes, and this is number eight. Uh, I do want to thank Steve and uh, everybody over at Safety Reports again for being such gracious sponsors. It's been great having you, and I hope that we have an opportunity to work together again. For those of, the, you, those of you who have not checked out Safety Reports, again, I would encourage you to do so. It is an incredibly useful, ever-evolving uh, tool and resource. Uh, I think it makes, makes us much better safety professionals to have access to uh, resources like that. So check out Safety Reports. You can find it on my website, www.fletchersafety.com. Or you can go to the Safety Reports website, whatever's most convenient for you. But I would check it out. Um, as far as uh, information, OSHA just released a new document on COVID uh, enforcement. Um, it came out on the 19th, May 19th, so just a few days ago. goes into effect on May 26th. It supersedes the current COVID enforcement guidance that's out there. And so I think everybody should take a look at this particularly if you are in some, you know, higher risk category uh, for COVID. Uh, it, is, it is titled Updated Interim Enforcement Response Plan for Coronavirus Disease 2019. So I'm sure you can find that through Google or on the OSHA website. Uh, again, it goes into effect on the 26th of this month and so uh, very soon. So check it out. It, it basically categorizes two two types of geographic areas, uh, depending on whether or not COVID cases are increasing or decreasing, um, and, and basically outlines a, a protocol for how OSHA will conduct inspections based on that COVID activity in those geographic areas. So, for example, um, one geographic area might be seeing uh, decreased community spread of COVID-19. In those cases, in those in instances, OSHA is intending to return to what they would refer to as normal enforcement practices based on the field operations manual. Um, the way they prioritize inspections, the way they conduct inspections, uh, most of you are familiar with that, you know, the unprogrammed work, the programmed work. I think the intention is to return to uh, relatively normal enforcement practices in those geographic areas. Um, in geographic areas where uh, community-based COVID has is uh, basically been sustained or maybe even resurging, I think that they will continue to prioritize COVID fatalities and imminent danger exposures for inspection activities. 
Um, they pay attention primarily then to high risk workplaces. Those would be um, healthcare facilities, um, probably nursing homes. You know, any type of uh, skilled nursing care facilities, those types of things, or workplaces with high numbers of complaints or known cases. And that here in Nebraska basically includes our meat packing, meat processing facilities. And so. Um, under those circumstances where the COVID uh, spread in the community has not really significantly decreased or perhaps even we've seen a resurgence, I think that you will see OSHA continuing to focus on COVID enforcement, uh, which is interesting. Um, and then ultimately, as you probably know, or may- maybe you don't know, uh, area directors, the you know the leaders of each of these field offices, the area directors are given quite a bit of discretion on how they will proceed with this. Um, I think that they are certainly trying to limit exposure to uh, suspected or, or known COVID cases of the compliance staff. So they are, you know, they continue to work from home is my understanding. They are continuing to limit exposures uh, in those high risk areas to the extent that they are able. They are conducting some on-site inspection activity in those medium to high risk facilities, and I'm sure that they intend to go back into the low-risk facilities uh, and make inspections there if resources are available. And so, uh, again, this is a fairly lengthy document. Uh, I've basically just scratched the surface of what it talks about. I would encourage you to take a look at it, particularly if you're in a high-risk category or very high-risk category. But uh, here in Nebraska, again, meat, food processing, I should say, meat, chicken, you know, beef, chicken, pork, you know, poultry of some sort, uh, those are um, being heavily scrutinized here in Nebraska. I have a number of clients that are in the food processing industry, and more than one of them have had actual uh, OSHA inquiries done at their facilities. So, you know, kind of like a rapid response initiative type of an investigation where it is done uh, basically over the phone or electronically. Uh, inquiring about uh, the steps being taken to address potential COVID exposures. Um, again, a number of facilities that I work with have had those uh, those investigations conducted. Really, they're interested in knowing what type of a COVID exposure response plan that facility has put together, what they've implemented. And so, um, you know, I mean, uh, if you are in a medium, high, very high risk uh, industry, workplace, you certainly ha- need to have some type of a COVID exposure plan in place. I get that, asked that question periodically, and I would say, yes, definitely put together some degree of COVID exposure plan so that you could report the steps that you've taken and, you know, how you would have adhered to the CDC guidelines, which is what OSHA is basically uh, basing their uh, expectations on. Um, and then if you're in a low-risk workplace, uh, you know, where, you know, healthcare or those procedures are not being um, applied or you don't have um, issues with social distancing employees, you know, your employees are not working closely together, you're not having contact with the public, you're not in some food processing, if you are in a low-risk environment, I would still recommend that you at least provide some training and education on all of those elements. I mean, again, I don't think it's it's fair to assume that our employees are getting good, accurate information about um, 
hand washing, disinfecting, social distancing, things like that. So at the, if you have a work environment at all, you certainly need to be providing that training and education on those CDC guidelines and exposure considerations. But if you're in a medium to high risk to very high risk category, you definitely need to have a COVID exposure control plan in place. Um, and that could, that could include some construction sites. I'm looking at a construction site right now uh, just outside of the studio. Uh, they, they're, doing, uh, uh, they're erecting a building, and there are literally dozens of guys on scaffolding working together, doing some, you know, laying some blocks and found, you know, some uh, putting up some steel, and, and, and they are not able to socially distance to the extent that would be expected. And again, um, I suppose uh, the OSHA office might might be interested in something like that. Certainly, if there were complaints or referrals or serious illnesses reported, so um, take a look at that document. Consider how it applies to your workplace, and certainly uh, be prepared for any OSHA activity that may be coming your way. Um, enough about COVID for the time being. Um, you know, T.S. Eliot, I don't know if you read The, the Wasteland, but T.S. Eliot said that April is the cruelest month. Um, and April for me as a consultant was really tough. Uh, I had a great, uh, quite a bit of work scheduled for April. We, we tend to uh, wrap up a lot of our industrial hygiene monitoring in April here in Nebraska because it's still cold enough to have our buildings closed up pretty tightly. Uh, so we do a lot of IH work in April. I had a number of site audits scheduled for April. And as a result of the COVID, uh, most of that was either canceled or postponed. Um, so ultimately, I had two jobs in April, which is, you know, typically two jobs a week, if not three. And this turned out to be two jobs for the entire month, which was a fairly significant decrease. But um, one of them was a document re- review for one of my clients. Uh, we reviewed some programs and some documentation, and that was actually useful, I think. And then I did do one on-site audit, uh, basically an OSHA compliance type of audit at a low-risk facility where there is uh, easy social distancing and, you know, certainly easy hand-washing and hygiene practices in place. And so we were able to perform, I think, reasonably safely uh, a site audit at that facility. Um, Things are starting to pick up in May. Uh, Again, the end of March and the entirety of April were very slow. Um, we are starting to pick back up again, starting to get into the facilities again. I've done a little bit of training. I did a 10-hour class for a company. Um, and again, we limited the number of participants to less than 10, which, uh, which uh, adheres to the CDC guidelines. We were able to space ourselves out in the training room, which I thought was good. It was effective. Um, we did two hours a day for five days, which I thought was really nice. Um, you know, some of you that have been involved in 10 and 30 hour training know back in the old days, we used to do 10 hour classes in one day. Uh, it was brutal um, and probably completely ineffective. You know, at that point, we were doing them on Saturdays. Typically, uh, we were doing 10 hours long. It was it was uh, ridiculous. I really liked this uh, five days of two hours a day. Uh, the employees were fresh each day. They were focused. Um, we didn't exhaust them with information. You know, they were able to probably retain uh, most of the information provided in that short of a, of a session. So I really did like that. Um, 
One of the other gigs I got, interestingly, in the at the end of March and early, uh, or at the end of April, early May, was um, kind of an expert witness um, activity. Um, I was contacted by an attorney that had a, a situation where an employee had been injured at work. It was not in Nebraska. It was out state. And, um, you know, the employee had, had, to, had to receive some medical treatment and actually has had some surgery as a result of this, at least allegedly as a result of this incident. Um, I have done probably a half dozen expert witness testimonies over the years. Um, and I've always, I tell myself that I'm not going to do them anymore. I just, I find them to be really um, difficult because it typically results in a, an employee's word versus the employer's word. There are almost always no witnesses to the incident. Um, I tend to side in favor of the employee. I, I want to believe the employee is telling the truth. As a former OSHA guy, you know, I mean, I was an advocate for the employees for all those years. And so it is my inclination to side with the employee. Um, but, man, I certainly know that employees are not always honest and forthcoming. So it really causes me some internal conflict. You know, I mean, you can review depositions. You can re- review some medical information to the extent that I'm qualified to do that. You can review training information and training documentation. What it, what it really boils down to is one person's word against another and which one is more credible. And uh, I have found that in the, in the cases that I've looked at, there seems to be a lot of this uh, assumption training. You know, these employers are assuming that the training that they have developed is actually taking place, that, you know, the managers of the companies have taken the time to uh, put together, you know, fairly decent training programs and, and uh, fairly comprehensive training programs. And then they turn it over to human resources or they turn it over to the supervisors, you know, who are obviously being pulled in a, a number of different directions and have a number of different stresses placed upon them. And then, you know, we assume that this training is being accomplished the way it was intended. Oftentimes it isn't. And these cases usually boil down to making the argument that the employee was not trained adequately, you know, and therefore there is some reasonable probability that an incident like this could have taken place. This last one was really interesting. This, uh, man, there were a number of well-known risk factors involved. I thought it was an interesting case. I can't get into great detail because it's still open. I just submitted my report this morning, in fact, but new hire, a new employee, a young employee, first of all, and we know that young employees, you know, chronologically young employees tend to be uh, at greater risk of incident. So I think it was like an 18-year-old new hire, uh, had very little practical experience. You know, I think he'd had maybe one or two short-term jobs prior to this particular employment situation. Um, So again, a new hire, a young person, literally two weeks on the job, was working second shift. And actually, the second shift was remarkable. I mean, they would start it in the afternoon and work into the the first week during the training. They started in the afternoon and worked into the evening. And then the second week, when he was basically cut loose on his own, he would start in the afternoon and work until well into the next morning, like, you know, five, six in the morning, and then come back to work at three. So 
I was just amazed that the second week of employment, this young person uh, who is now operating equipment, of course, um, after a limited amount of training that first week on the equipment, uh, was cut loose and then working overnight. Um, I don't know if you have worked overnight, if you've worked second shift or third shift. I've done a lot of industrial hygiene monitoring on the off shifts. And unless you are conditioned for it, it is really difficult you know, to stay awake, to pay attention, to be focused overnight. I mean, in that two, three, four in the morning, those hours, man, you are a zombie. And of course, the incident took place at about four in the morning uh, after having started the night before or the afternoon before. And so there were just a number of risk factors involved. Um, You know, and again, this kind of this assumption that the training is being performed adequately Um, It was really, uh, I mean, there just seemed to be a strong case to be made that there there, there was at least a likelihood of such an incident. And, you know, so as I'm writing up the report, we're including those kind of things. And, uh, you know, again, um, I've not been to the site. I've not interviewed anyone. You're just making these, drawing these conclusions from all this information. And there's always that doubt in the back of your mind. Well, you know, maybe the employee is misrepresenting this and, you know, so, you know, I swore I was not going to do any more of these expert witness because I don't like the legal elements. I, I really enjoy the, the technical aspects of the cases, you know, the safety aspects of the cases. But the legal arguments are so oftentimes so unrelated to the technical aspects. It just, you know, that, that I swore I wasn't going to do them again, again. And then, you know, I don't have any work in April and this comes up in April. And of course, I have to take it. So it is what it is, I suppose. But You know, one thing I've wanted to talk about is mentors. Um, This program is uh, really intended to be somewhat like electronic mentoring to people that are interested in safety, uh, that are either safety professionals or have an interest in safety, whether you're a small business person or you are a contractor or someone who's responsible for the safety and well-being of employees on a work site. Um, And most of us have had the opportunity to have great mentors. Um, and so when we, when we kind of came up with the idea for this podcast, it was based on, you know, providing some type of electronic mentorship to people that might, have the, might not have the luxury of some face-to-face relationship like that. And so I do want to take a moment, um, you know, since to, I don't have any guests today, um, everybody's incredibly busy, and frankly, I just didn't have the opportunity to schedule a guest for today. Um, I thought I would take a moment here at the end of the program just to thank some of the mentors that I've had over the years. Um, you know, I started in safety out of school, um, and safety was certainly not what I had intended uh, while in school, but it was an opportunity that presented itself. Uh, I started back in the, in the uh, 80s with an organization called Defense Construction Supply Center. It was uh, a facility that's part of the Defense Logistics Agency, which is part of the Defense Department. And I was hired as an industrial hygienist by a guy by the name of Dan Leisure. Uh, Dan gave me my first job in safety. Um, you know, I applied for it, not even knowing I was hired as a, an entry-level industrial hygienist. Uh, I had no idea what that meant. Um, frankly, didn't even bother to look it up at the time, probably. The prerequisites were biology, chemistry, you know, ex- experience in the sciences, things like that. And I'd gone to school for about nine years in the sciences, and so I felt comfortable that I met that prerequisite qualification. And so 
you know, Dan and I met, we did the interview. He asked me a number of scenarios about industrial hygiene that I had no idea of, you know, but he was a, he was a very gracious guy and he offered me the job. And, um, so I, my, my safety journey started with that entry level industrial hygiene position, uh, because of, a, of Dan leisure and the, and the fact that he was willing to take a risk on me. Um, and it worked out great. And, uh, so, um, as we discuss mentors over the episodes, um, professionally, Dan was probably my first professional safety-related mentor. And so um, I want to reach out to Dan. I don't know if he's still in Columbus, Ohio, or where he is right now. but uh, and, and the likelihood of hearing this podcast is probably very remote. But Dan, if you are listening, or if someone that knows you happens to hear this, man, I, I want to I thank you again for taking a risk on me and, and uh, introducing me to this incredibly satisfying profession. Um, more about, you know, more mentors later on. I've had many. I've been incredibly fortunate, and we'll talk a little bit about more of them. Maybe we'll have a chance to get some of them on the program going forward. Um, I think we're going to call it a day, guys. Um, that's all the information I've got for you. Again, uh, check out that um, OSHA Enforcement Bulletin. Uh, it should be posted on the website right now. I think it's important that we take a look at it. If you are in one of those categories where you are potentially ex- um, going to be in- investigated or inspected based on a COVID issue, be prepared for it. Otherwise, if you're in one of those geographic areas where things are settling down, uh, just be aware of the fact that OSHA is going to res- resume normal enforcement activities. And so, you know, that will include the imminent danger, fatality, hospitalization, amputation, loss of an eye, um, complaints, those types of things, uh, as well as programmed inspection activities. So here in Nebraska, our programmed activity tends to focus around things like meat packing, uh, grain handling, silica, you know, the national emphasis program, uh, trenching and excavations, things like that. So I think we will probably see a resumption of those types of inspection activities uh, very soon here in Nebraska. So be aware of that. Last thing I'm going to tell you is, um, I, th- I think safety in large part, our job is, is, um, intended to offer hope to our employees, you know, I mean, keep them safe, obviously keep them healthy in the work environment, but safety is always about relationships with people. It's about offering hope and providing hope and comfort. And so, uh, Remain, you know, keep focused on that. Don't forget about that. Um, establish trust with your employees, and I think that you can engage them and enlist them uh, and count on them for a lot of support. So keep focused on what we're supposed to be doing. Keep up the good work. Um, I'll be in touch later. I've got some information that I'm going to send out if you happen to be in one of my email groups. And so I've got some information that I'll be sending out later today. Uh, just keep up the good work. I, I've been hearing from a lot of you. Over the last month or so, uh, the challenges and the struggles you've been dealing with, and everybody seems to have really risen to the occasion. So uh, I'm proud of you. Keep it up, and I'll be in touch soon. Thanks. A Parkville Media Production.